0: morning, everybody. Good to to greet you this morning to our uh, annual Patriotic Weekend and our Pray for America service. I apologize if some of you had a little difficulty getting on the parking lot for this service. I went a little long at 845, so that's all my fault. We'll try not to do it this service. Grab a Bible and go with me to Matthew chapter 6, if you would, Matthew chapter 6. While you're turning there, I'll just tell you that for many, many years, this church has set aside the weekend before the 4th of July for an annual patriotic weekend and over the years it's looked like a lot of different things and in recent years it's looked more like a service focused on praying for America, which I think is appropriate because we are a country that seems to have in many ways lost its way. So much unrest, so much division in our country today Every morning when I turn on my computer, my home page comes up, it's a news page, and uh, it's just one headline after another of negative things. One negative article about lies, one negative article about deception, uh, deception, one negative article about accusation, and on and on and on. I don't really even read those articles any longer because they are so discouraging. The only, more, this thing, the only thing that's more discouraging than reading the articles are the comment section, Read the comment section that follows. If you want to get a feel for the deep level of dissatisfaction and unhappiness and anger and even hatred that fills the lives of many Americans today, then just read the comment section of any article based on a political or social issue. So many rallies today against different beliefs, political positions, and ideologies that you can't even keep track of all of them anymore. Did you ever think we'd live in a day when so many people wanted to desecrate or burn the American flag? I know that's not something that's new, but at least in my lifetime, I'm just thinking in terms of my lifetime, and I'm not particularly young, that's happening at a greater level than I've ever seen before. I wonder if anybody remembers. You'd have to be a little bit older to remember this. Some of you are too young, but I wonder if anybody remembers an incident that took place. It was 40 years ago. I know it's exactly, almost exactly 40 years ago because it was 1976, and that's the year I graduated from high school. But 40 years ago, the Chicago Cubs were playing a baseball game against the Los Angeles Dodgers, and two men, a father and a son, ran out on the Dodger field in between innings and tried to burn an American flag. They got out on the field, and they were able to douse the flag with lighter fluid. They struck one match, but I don't know if it was the wind or some other uh, action that caused the, f- the match to go out. They tried to light another match, but before they were successful in igniting the flag, Chicago Cubs outfielder Rick Monday came running up from behind them and snatched the flag and ran off. When all of that happened, and there are some videos that you can still see online of that, when all of that happened, Dodger Stadium erupted. In a standing ovation for Rick Monday. I wonder if that would happen today. I'm talking about the standing ovation. There's just so much unrest in our country today, and for many reasons, some of them very valid. Our national debt is almost twenty trillion dollars I don't know if you've ever gone online and looked at this website before, www.usdebtclock.org. You've got to write that down in your notes and log on to that sometime later today. It'll frighten you. Such deep divisions in our country related to so many issues, to issues of morality, sexual orientation and gender identity, marriage, abortion, women's rights, immigration, refugees, border security, Islam, terrorism, climate change, the trustworthiness of the media, civil disobedience. Those are just a handful of things I wrote down off the top of my head. I could go on and on and on. And on top of that, everything you read today says that the number of Christians in our country today and the influence of the church in our country today is declining. With every passing year, in fact, research has revealed a whole new category of people in America when pollsters try to identify or put their finger on the pulse of the religious climate in America today, they've identified a whole new category of people in America today simply identified as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the nuns, people who have absolutely no religious ties at all. And that's a number of people, that's a group of people that's on the rise. Even more startling is the research that shows that many committed Christians are changing their approach to the way they live out their faith today. In the average evangelical church in America today, only 20% of the members attend three times a month. The average attendance for members today is 1.6 times a month. And all that does, friends, that statistic, it just weakens the church today and it threatens the church of the future. I could go on with these kinds of troubling statistics, but I think everyone gets the picture. That's why this weekend that we've set aside for so many years to focus on our country has shifted to... A focus on prayer. And that's why I ask you to take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter six this morning. If you've been here for any length of time and if you're a guest, we're so glad to have you today. I hope this service is a blessing to you today. Thank you for being here. But if you've been here for any length of time, you know that we've been working our way verse by verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew for about six months. And not long ago, I shared a message from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18 that was basically kind of focused on hiding your holiness because Jesus summed up the theme of the message right in the very first verse of Matthew chapter 6 when he said, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. He said, avoid that kind of hypocrisy, doing acts of righteousness just to be seen by men and then he illustrates that by talking about hypocrites and prayer, hypocrites or excuse me, hypocrites in giving, hypocrites in prayer, and hypocrites and fasting. He used each one of those as an illustration of his point. When we get to the section in the middle of the passage about prayer, when Jesus is talking about how hypocrites love to stand on the street corners to be seen by men as they pray, or in the synagogue to be seen by men as they pray. He also includes in that passage what we call the Lord's Prayer. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. He, At one point, he stops and says, this then is how you should pray. He's like, this is what not to do and this is what to do. And he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I want to look at that together for just a few minutes this morning. We won't look at the entire passage, but one section. So if you've got your Bibles open there Matthew chapter six, like we always do, I want to invite you to stand with me in reverence and respect for God's word as we read that passage. If you're a guest, we do this every week. We make sure that we include the public reading of scripture as a significant part of our service every week. And when we do, we stand in reverence and respect for God's word. But beginning in verse 19 of chapter six, this is what Jesus says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always pray God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. And I apologize. When I began, I didn't greet our folks who are worshiping with us online. So glad to have you with us this morning. I want to just focus on one brief brief part of Jesus' words here. And that's verse 10, where Jesus says that when we pray, we should pray these words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because honestly, friends, and let me just tell you from the beginning, this is not the message I thought that I would deliver this morning. It's just not. It took a different direction. But honestly, it seems to me that more than anything else, these are the words that we should be praying with regard to America. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. But what do those words really mean? First of all, we have to understand the meaning of the word kingdom. When we hear the word kingdom, which is a word Jesus used a lot, it was a common reference in his ministry, he talked about the kingdom, he talked about the kingdom of God, he talked about the kingdom of heaven. When we hear the word kingdom, we usually think of a a place, a geographical place. But the word kingdom in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word basileia, and it literally means to rule or reign. That's the meaning of the word kingdom, rule or reign. And so the word kingdom in the context of the New Testament then is literally a description of everywhere that God, who is the ultimate king, rules and reigns. That's what it means. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, that's what he's talking about. And so if God rules and reigns, for example, in your life, then the kingdom is inside of you. If God rules and reigns in your family, in your home, then the kingdom is in your family. The kingdom is in your home and so on. So what then, having said that, does it really mean to pray, your kingdom come? Well, remember back in Matthew 6.10, Jesus said that when we pray, we should pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, note this, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I don't think anybody would argue the fact that God reigns in heaven, that God reigns completely and fully and unmistakably in heaven. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying, God, bring the reality of heaven where you rule and reign completely to the earth today. Bring your rule and reign the same way that it happens in heaven to the earth today. John MacArthur in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer says that that happens in three ways. First of all, he says that it happens in conversion or through conversion, Look at these words on the screen Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 say this after John was put in prison That's a reference to John the Baptist after John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee And this is a great description of the ministry of Jesus Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God And this is what he said the time has come The kingdom of God is near the rule and the reign of God is near what got something new This new thing that God wants to bring to the world is near repent and believe in the good news And so Jesus was essentially saying that the rule and reign of God comes into your life when you believe and accept the good news, which was the message of Jesus. And the words repent and believe are common words to indicate the reality of salvation or the reality of conversion. The kingdom comes into the world through conversion. The kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of God in heaven, comes to the earth in your life and my life as we are saved, as we are born again, as We're converted, whatever word you want to use to describe the experience of salvation. That's how it happens. In Mark chapter 12, a little bit later in the same gospel, Jesus was having a conversation one day with a teacher of the law, and the conversation revolved around the question of all the commandments, which one is the greatest? And Jesus was kind of leading the conversation, and the teacher of the law ultimately gave the right answer. And so in Mark 12 and verse 34, Jesus says this, or this is what Mark records rather, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the rule and the reign of God being a a reality in your life. That's what Jesus was saying. Because he was saying, you're not far from salvation. You're not far from conversion. You're right on track. Jesus was saying to this teacher of the law, you've got all the knowledge that you need you know what you need to know. Now you just need to make a decision. Now you just need to accept what it is that you know. You've got to believe it. You know, honestly, that's the way a lot of people are in church every week. Maybe a lot of people who, are, who join us online every week. That's the way a lot of people are every week. They've got the knowledge. Listen, if you've come to this church for any length of time, you've heard the truth about the reality of your life. If you're not somebody who's put your faith and trust in God, you've heard the truth that you're separated from God because in and of yourself, on your own, you're not good enough to live in a right relationship with God. And you've heard the truth that the only way that you can overcome that reality is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. You've heard that over and over again. There are a lot of people who come to church, not just this one, but churches all across the country week after week after week, and they've got the knowledge. They know what they need to do. They know the reality of their life on their own, but for whatever reason, they're just unwilling to make that decision and they're unwilling to surrender to Christ. The first way that the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God comes to the earth is through conversion when we surrender our lives to Christ. That's why the mission of the church is to make disciples. That's why it's so important for the church to not have an inward focus but an outward focus and and have a, a longing in their heart. We should have a longing in our hearts to reach people who are lost. The second way MacArthur says that the kingdom comes to the earth is through commitment. And here's what that means. If you're a Christian, then as we just talked about, the kingdom is within you because you have believed in the good news and surrendered your life to Christ. And now you need to know, and I hope that you already do, that as you live your life, you're going to be faced with times and this is going to happen in your life over and over again, you're going to be faced with times when you're going to have to make a decision on whether or not you're going to obey the will of God or you're going to follow your own will. You're going to obey the will of God or you're going to give in to, the, to the, the, the temptations of our enemy, the devil. You're going to follow the promptings of your own flesh. You're going to follow the course of the world. You've got to make that decision. Those, we're faced with those kinds of decisions day after day after day. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10 that we should pray, your kingdom come, note this, your will be done, your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. And so the kingdom comes when you commit your life to Christ, that's conversion, and the kingdom comes when you commit your life to doing the will of God. And I'll say it again, if you're a Christian, you're going to go through times in your life when you're going to be faced with a very real tension. Do you ever feel that in your life? You're going to be faced with a very real tension that comes in the conflict between following your own will or following the will of God. I live with that tension, I feel that tension in my life virtually every single day of my life. And quite frankly, I'm so concerned about people who never feel it, who say that they're Christians. Remember that story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested? In that moment of incredible transparency? Jesus was feeling the weight of going to the cross. And so he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But then he quickly followed that, that up by saying, yet not my will, but yours be done. If Jesus felt the tension of following his own will or the will of God, why in the world would people like you and me think that we wouldn't experience that tension in our lives as well? And I'm going to say it again, if you never feel that tension in your life, if you say that you're a Christian and you never feel that tension in your life, I think there's a spiritual problem in your life. This past week I spent some time on Tuesday night with some kids who were involved in an FCA golf camp, Fellowship of Christian Athletes golf camp. I was leading their study time on Tuesday night. We were over in, in and around Fort Benjamin Harrison there. <clears throat> beautiful night. We were out on a patio area. We had our Bibles open in Matthew chapter four. We were talking about that great story where Jesus one day was walking along the sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, fishing. And he said, come follow. Remember this? He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You remember that story? And you remember what happened next? It says immediately or at once, depending on the translation of the Bible you're looking at, at once, at once, they put down their net and they followed him. And I was talking to those kids, probably ranging in age to about 14 to 17 years old. I was talking to those kids about what it really means to follow Christ. And I told them, first of all, if we're going to follow Christ, he expects us to follow him with abandon. Absolute abandon. And you see that reflected in Peter and Andrew, because at once, it says, at once, immediately, they put down their net and they followed him. We follow him with absolute abandon. We were talking about that and a... One of the girls, I don't have any idea how old she was. How many of you know that the older you get, the younger everybody looks around you? I thought she was maybe seven or eight. No, I'm just kidding. One of the girls raised her hand. She said, Pastor, do you think that when you make a commitment to follow Jesus, that he should become the most important thing in your life? She's probably 14 or 15 years old. I said, I absolutely do, and she smiled at me, and she said, I do too. She's checking me out, making sure I was on the right track. (laughs) She said, I do too. What does that look like on a practical level, though? What does it look like to to make Jesus the most important thing in your life? What does it look like to follow Jesus with absolute abandon? I was talking to those kids about the great German pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I was telling them his story, his whole story, and I told them about how ultimately he was imprisoned in a concentration camp and sentenced to die. And on a cold German morning, just a few weeks before the war ended, he was marched out and he was hung. He was executed by being hung. I told him several years before that happened, several years before any of the things happened in his life where Adolf Hitler came to power in Germany in the early 1930s and and before the regime of the Nazis rose and began to dominate that country that he had written a book called The Cost of Discipleship and he wrote a phrase in that book that had become prophetic because he wrote in that book, when Christ calls a man, he bids him. come and die. He based those words on Jesus's own words when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me because Jesus's hearers would have known that when Jesus said the reference or made the reference of take up his cross, that he was talking about death. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I said, now, Bonhoeffer wasn't talking about physical death when he wrote those words, although that's what happened to him. And we have to acknowledge today that that's what happens to some of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world because they lose their lives for their Christian faith. He was talking more about dying to everything that stands between you and following Christ with abandon. We go through our lives, all of us, with a certain level of hopes and a certain level of dreams and a certain level of ambitions. But we need to understand as believers that those things become toxic in our lives when they take first place in our lives and they get in the way of following Jesus. And so when we become His disciples, His followers, we have to say no to ourselves and our own will so that we can say yes. To him and his will, the will of God in every area of life and living, because there's no such thing as a part-time follower of Christ. He asks for everything. The Bible is really clear about that. And so the kingdom of God, which is the rule and reign of God, the way it is in heaven, comes to earth and is on display in the world today when we as believers live with complete commitment to Christ, when he's first above all else. The third thing MacArthur says is that the kingdom comes through consummation. I'm not going to talk about this in any detail, but basically what that means is how many of you know the world is not always going to be the way it is today? The God who is the creator and sustainer of all things one day is going to say that's enough, and he's going to bring the world the way it is today to an end, and he's going to set into motion the beginning of making all things new. So if you put all this together, friends, then I think you'd have to say that when you pray the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're saying, God, you are the king. You are my king because you live in my heart. And so I want your kingdom truths and your kingdom principles and your kingdom purposes to be lived out in my life every single day. I want you to rule and reign inside of me in the world today in an un." Mistakable way. And listen, friends, I'm going to tell you this morning, I honestly believe with all my heart that's the single greatest prayer that any of us could pray for America. Because the single best thing that can happen in America today is that Christians like you and me or the church that we're a part of would allow the rule and reign of God to be lived out in our lives in an unmistakable way. Can you imagine the kind of impact Christians who live like that would make on their community. Can you imagine the kind of impact churches like that could have on their community and the world? I understand the Bible gives us really specific instructions about praying for leaders I mean, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and he says, I urge then, first of all, that request prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. The Bible tells us that we're to pray for those in authority. Romans chapter 13, Paul says, there is no authority that's not directed by God. As bad as it is, as bad as it can be, as bad as it has been in the past, as bad as it is today, The Bible says that there is no authority. There is no government authority other than that which has been allowed by God. And so we should pray for our country from that perspective. And we should pray for our local and our national leaders from that perspective. But I'm telling you, we need to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because what that means is we're praying, God, change me and use me to make a difference today. What do you think is going to happen to America? I, I, I don't know that I can answer that question for sure, but my best answer is that what's going to happen to America is, America is ultimately going to go the way of every other country and every other nation look at these words on the screen from proverbs fourteen thirty four. the proverb writer says righteousness exalts a nation but sin condemns any people righteousness exalts a nation rightness with god is what makes a nation great but sin which certainly characterizes the reality of the country that we live in condemns any people The nation of Egypt as powerful as it was, came and went. The nation of Syria as powerful as it was, came and went. The Nation of Assyria as powerful as it was, came and went. The nation of Babylon as powerful as it was, came and went. The Medo-Persian Nation as powerful as it was, came and went. Rome as powerful as it was, came and went. Alexander the Great, conquered everything from Europe to India and into Egypt. But the nation of Greece as powerful as it was at that time in history, came and went. Historians tell us that there have been at least 21 Great Civilizations, all of which are now extinct. I love America just like you do. I'm so thankful to be an American for all the freedoms that it provides and for all the great opportunity and the blessings that we experience in this country. But as a Christian, America, as much as I love America, is not my first priority and it shouldn't be yours. As a Christian, our first priority is the kingdom of God. And so we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let the rule and reign that you experience in heaven be a reality in this world, first and foremost in my life and in my family and in my church. Because the answer to America's problems today is not going to be found in a political party and it's not going to be found in a candidate no matter how well-intentioned misguided people are, it's going to be found in the people of God and the church of God. And so that's the prayer that we need to pray. So let's do that this morning. Would you bow your heads with me today as Brian comes and we're going to pray in lieu of our decision time, response time, and then we'll go right